Welcome back to West Bev. I'm Caitlin. I'm Ariel. And this is your Beverly Hills 90210 podcast, where we break down every episode of the 10-season show. Today, we're talking about Season 7, Episode 11, If I Had a Hammer. Mary, what happened this week? Kelly and Mark go away for a weekend in Mark's white Porsche, except Kelly didn't call the guy back to confirm their reservation in their fancy ranch bungalow, so they have no place to stay. But they do have fancy dinner reservations for champagne, lobster, and caviar, and they happen to find a room in a less-than-fancy motel to have food poisoning in afterwards. I had such horrible flashbacks watching this to the time that John and I both had food poisoning in a hotel room at the same time. Oof. But at least I wasn't in, like, a standard motel. Like, we had, like, a really nice hotel room, so there was, like, some separation to it. But I was just Mm -hmm. like, yeah, that moment where she doesn't feel good, and then he's like, oh, it's not that. And then, like, three minutes later, he doesn't feel good. Like, Mm -hmm. yep. Been there. exact same. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was like, John didn't feel good, and I was so mad because I was like, does this mean we're not going to go have dinner? I mean, valid though. (laughs) Like that's the worst part about food poisoning is that not only do you have terrible like stomach pains and it's you just feel like absolute crap, but then you can't even eat anything and food is so great. (laughs) Yeah. The next morning we went down to breakfast and we asked if we could just like take some bread to go and we were in another country. Mm -hmm. So like English was like a little bit of a barrier and they were just like, you don't want to eat? I was like, like, no, no, we want to eat. I can't. Just yeah. bread, please, just bread. My body won't let me eat. <laughs> but, yeah, it's a whole thing because I guess this is probably Kelly and Mark's first, like, trip together, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, last week we saw them spend the weekend together the first time. This is their first trip out of town together. They're spending the holidays together. Instead of seeing their families, which – yeah, I get that sometimes. Yeah, well, and like we've established in this show, families are secondary, parents are secondary. Like <laughs> it is just, they just do what they want. But what happened is maybe this is Kelly's first time booking a hotel reservation, but they call her to confirm it. I guess she got a voicemail. Maybe the line was busy because Mark was calling to ring, 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 I love you, and then hang up. Could be. Could be. Yeah, let's play Mark. (laughs) But whatever the case, Kelly did not verbally confirm this reservation with the hotel, so they cancel it. Yep. And literally in my notes, I was just like, girl, you got to return your calls knowing that I have unlistened to voicemails on my phone right now. Oh, same. And – I love that um, iPhones now have the, like, transcription. So I don't even actually have to listen to the voicemails. I just have to read the voicemails, which is amazing. (laughs) But I will say, in Kelly's defense, now I don't know how booking hotels was like in 1996 because I was six years old, but nowadays I feel like, like, for example, for a doctor's appointment, I get phone calls all the time that says, this is a call for Caitlin Lewis confirming your appointment with blah, la 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 at da 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 time. I don't have to call them back. They're just letting me know that my appointment is still happening. So, 
her confusion on like, well, no, you called to confirm with me. That was the confirmation. I was kind of like, I've been there. It hasn't failed, but it's been like, I've heard the confirmation and been like, yeah, that's the confirmation. Yeah. I get the text messages that are like, reply C to confirm. Yeah. Or that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm like, okay, C confirmed. I'm in. That's Mm -hmm. what I'm doing here. Like, I will say, like, I don't know how this got into my head, but if I know I have a reservation coming up, that is the time that I will answer unknown numbers. Mm. 90% of the time, don't answer them. If I know, like, we did a fancy dinner for my birthday, like, I'm answering all phone calls just to make absolutely sure. That's true. And, yeah, after this, when they're calling the hotels and, like, Kelly is sitting in the car on her cell phone, Mark is out at the payphone. I was like, I would, what would you do? I would have no idea what to do. I don't know how to book things without my smartphone. Yeah. I mean, I guess at this point, what they're, you know, trying to show is like, this is Thanksgiving weekend. It's a popular weekend to travel and book hotels and things like that. So the fact that they're doing this on the day that they were supposed to arrive, you know, means that all places are booked up. So yeah, I would just turn around and go home. Like, it's not that big a deal. We can cancel other plans that we had had and just go back. We have, we have other options, you know? Yeah. I, you know, less ideal, but you could probably go to a really nice um, grocery store mm-hmm. and like get yourself a meal, go back to Mark's house where it is empty. True. And just have another weekend home alone. A staycation, if you will. Exactly. But I do love that Mark is basically just like, yeah, we have dinner reservations. We're going to walk in like we have a Beverly Hills attitude and it's going to be fine. Oh, my God. This entire scene, I basically like typed out like quote for quote (laughs) because I thought it was kind of funny. And it is a shame what happened to or what's going to happen to the actor and the character of Mark and whatnot, because there is some chemistry here, actually. And... You know, Mark is is talking about the fact that he made reservations at this really fancy restaurant. And she's like, you can't just get a reservation like that, at, you know, at some fancy restaurant. Um, and Mark's like, you can if you're Ronald Reagan. And I audibly chuckled when Kelly says, you're not. You are? <laughs> like, just the, confu- the like realization that, like, wait a minute. <laughs> Who is this man? Because let's be real, they don't know each other all that well at this point. Um, That was just kind of funny. And then, yeah, when Mark's, of course, white man Mark is like, you just walk in with attitude and a sense of entitlement. And if that's not the slogan for white men everywhere, I don't know what is. (laughs) Um, And he's like, repeat after me. I'm Kelly Taylor and I'm from Beverly Hills. And then Kelly just goes, I'm Kelly Taylor. And I and this man made me do it like that just. I don't know. I thought it was kind of funny. Yeah. I know you were annoyed with Kelly this episode, but I thought that was funny. It's very funny. Like, I get this where she's like, yeah, sitting in the car being like, I'm hot. I'm tired. I just want to go do the thing. But I don't know. It just, it wasn't this that bothered me. It's when they get to the restaurant and you realize how picky of an eater that she is that she won't eat caviar because it's technically eggs. Which surprised me, given the fact that she's grown up having a pretty privileged life, 
Mm-hmm. So I would have actually expected her to already have had caviar before. Yeah, it just, I don't know, maybe we forgot she was a picky eater or something, but it bothered me when she was just like, a motel room and eggs? Why am I sensing a pattern here? Yeah, I mean, we know that she has a bad relationship with food. Yeah. So perhaps that's a bit of it, but yeah, I I, I was just like, how, how are they affording all this? Because it was like some form of lobster that I'd never heard of before, caviar, like champagne. all this expensive food. Yeah, champagne. And what Kelly was focused on was not the fact that there was all this fancy food, but they say that they're going to spend the, uh, the evening at a Best Nest motel and then caviar is fish eggs or whatever. And so, wait, is that right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. I panicked and thought I was wrong. Um, <laughs> but she focuses on that. She's like, wait, Best Nest, eggs. Am I sensing a pattern here? And I'm like, this is like the first time in this show we've seen a guy be the one to like be overly committed and like want to be serious and all that. And the girl is not on the same page, maybe with the exception of Valerie. I'm, I'm sure that's probably happened and I'm just forgetting it, but it is kind of interesting how Mark is extremely invested in this relationship after like four episodes. Yeah. He definitely comes off a little aggressive to me, which I think is just because Kelly is so not like she's passive about this relationship. Mm-hmm. Like, Agreed. When they get when they get to the hotel and he starts like giving her a shoulder massage and he's like very clearly pushing for a thing that she has said she's not interested in. Mm-hmm. I think it was you know earlier in the episode maybe even at the hotel where he was like it doesn't matter as long as there's a bed and Kelly was like excuse me and he's like I mean as long as we're together. Yeah, and see that's the thing that's also like giving me pause with Mark is because it feels sort of like early Donna and David when all Ooh. David wanted to do was sleep with Donna not necessarily high school David and Donna but like early college you know when they're still dating yeah and, and like does Mark actually want to be with Kelly or does he just want to sleep with her I mean yeah it sounds like Mark is doing the David play except instead of getting really like mean aggressive about mm-hmm. it he's getting like physically like oh I'm gonna lay on the couch with you or I'm gonna massage your shoulders which you know you can have like physical contact with someone and not have sex but oh for sure you can also tell when someone is aiming for something it's not just a massage Mm -hmm. it is a massage expecting an outcome yes with intent (laughs) intent yes yeah I mean like don't get me wrong like I don't think anything Mark is doing is necessarily bad because he's not shaming her. He's not making her feel guilty necessarily. Like it's just, it seems like he's not reading signals very well. You know, like he's beating a dead horse at this point. Like Kelly has not been good about making decisions, but she has said, I'm not going to sleep with you until I'm ready. And he just keeps kind of pushing it a little bit, not in an um, in an aggressive or mean way, but just like he's not picking up what she's putting down. <laughs> yeah, he's like being jokey pushy, but it's still pushy. Yeah, yeah. Like passive aggressive. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, on the bright side, like so after he's giving her the massage and, you know, 
she says like, well, hang on. I don't feel so good. And then she says she's got food poisoning. And then three seconds later, he does too. It It is sweet at that point when there are essentially no expectations that he, they both do show some like actual affection for each other. Like they're really nice about taking care of each other. They joke about, oh, you were great. You were amazing. And it was like euphemisms for sex, but it was about them taking care of each other. And I was like, okay, this, this version. And like Mary said, this version of Mark and this version of this relationship, I could be down with if not for everything that we know is going to happen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as horrible as it is, it is kind of a bonding experience, and I mm-hmm. do love, you know, how complimentary they get when he's like, I didn't think I was going to make it to the bathroom that last time, and, like, you really came through for me there. Right? That and was he's funny. Like, <laughs> he's got the ice bucket that he's, like, putting the towel in so she has a cold compress on her head, and they're yeah. laying there, and she's, like, got her arm over her head so that she can touch his head. Like, it's cute. It's really cute. It is cute. It just – I also love that she's like, if we leave now, we can make it to Thanksgiving. And Mark just goes, isn't there food there? Yeah. <laughs> His, like, little snarl. Like, he does, like, an Elvis, like, snarl look to him. And I'm like, that's funny. Like, that's, yeah. that's good right there. And so indicative of what it's really like to have food poisoning. Good Lord. Yeah. Now, thankfully, I don't get it often, so I don't have yes. to, like, really remember. But that one specific time – Yep. I just remember, like, we ate bread, and I had to order chicken and stars from, like, <laughs> uh, room service because that was the only – we couldn't leave to do anything. Mm-hmm. It's like, I can eat broth, God. and that's what I will do. Yep. <sighs> but that's but, all for Mark and Kelly, right? Yeah. They're just going to hang out in a motel and suffer for a little bit. <laughs> Mary, what else happened this week? It's Thanksgiving, and Brandon wants to continue the tradition of a Casa Walsh get-together because everyone loves it. But Nat asks Brandon and Valerie and as much of the gang as they can gather to help build a Habitat for Humanity house for Willie, the cook at the Peach Pit, in case you didn't remember. So they do, and they eat Thanksgiving in the finished frame. But also, Steve is rightfully accused of plagiarism, but only because Lulu's ex-husband Professor Randall is back and took over supervision of Steve's class. Turns out Brandon was the best paper writer he's ever had, and so he saved a copy of the stolen essay. Steve might get expelled, and Brandon is charged with collusion. Steve realizes that no amount of apologizing is going to make Brandon not mad at him, but they do agree to set aside those icky feelings for after the food holiday. I love how unrealistic Steve getting caught has turned into because he had a different teacher up until Thanksgiving in this Mm -hmm. semester, and then Professor Randall came in to grade the papers. Professor Randall remembers a paper from three years ago so well that he knows it is plagiarized. He saved a copy that he also graded. There was a grade on it. That's my favorite part is that he copied it, wrote the A on it, and then (laughs) saved it for himself. And he came back. That's my favorite part is they were just like, how do we get Professor Randall back? It is just the biggest troll job that I've ever seen. Like, 
this man must have been like Brandon Walsh, that son of a gun. He got my wife and, you know, the baseball and whatnot. I'm going to get him one day. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But someday. And yeah, it took three years in terms of like he found the perfect con. <laughs> I also love that he came back. Like mm-hmm. they explain it of like, oh, yeah, I left the school. I think they say he got like, the school made him leave because they caught on to what he was doing with the, the student, student like yeah, the student athletes. And then they somehow recruited him back. Yeah. I yeah. also love how many times that they have to remind us everything that happened with Professor Randall. Oh, they list it like, yeah. Why would Brandon ever walk up to that man and be like, look, I know you hate me because I cause things to end with your wife. Why also would you we, do that? Also, we could get that incredible reaction. <laughs> no, <good>. no. <laughs> also, guys, this episode, I forgot to mention in the very beginning, is directed by Jason Priestley. So I was so excited. Honestly, yeah. when the credits were rolling, I went through a roller coaster of emotions because I yep. also saw special guest Tony Todd. And then I saw directed by Jason Priestley. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it explains a lot of why Brandon just kind of shows up every now and then in Steve's story. But really, yeah. aside from that, that's it. Well, and it makes sense, too, last week, why he wasn't. Yes. Like, he was just with Melanie last week. So he didn't have a ton of scenes, so he could prep for this episode. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Because, you know, aside from the scenes we see with him and Professor Randall... The only other times we see him is when it relates to this Habitat for Humanity storyline, which Mm -hmm. I kind of really love that the first thing you see is Nat comes over and is like, I need taste testers for this low-fat pumpkin pie, which first Mm -hmm. of all, explain that to me because yeah, how do you make low-fat pie? (laughs) Don't get it. But he says he has a favor to ask. And Val and Brandon are just like, oh, yeah, we got you covered for like, you know, your Thanksgiving dinner that you do every year. He's like, no, no, no. It's not even that. I got that covered. Whatever. Willie needs help because he's finally able to buy a house for him and his family, but he also has to build it. Yes. And, like, they immediately jump in. They're like, yeah, let's do it. Val says she's hell with a hammer, and I loved it. I'll bet you are. (laughs) Like, because it's so – now, after seeing the episode, I'm like, oh, it's like – she actually is hell with a hammer because her she grew up around construction, but also like because we know Val and without knowing that you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I bet you are hell with a hammer. I don't know why and how, but you are definitely. Yeah, I think that scene might have ended with Brandon being like, so tell me more about this. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I want to see Val with like a full tool belt that is hers. Oh, my God. Yes. In her overalls, she's got her own hat with, like, a sticker on it. It just says Val on it. Like, show up full, like, to the Habitat for Humanity site, just full Paris Geller and just her tool belt hard hat. Like, she's bossing people around. Yeah, give it to me. I want it. (laughs) I would die if that was the episode we got. But instead, we get a few, like, kind of weird scenes Mm -hmm. about Habitat for Humanity. Like, a lot of... Little one-shots. Yes. And, you know, before we get to the house, 
Brandon and Val have said, like, yeah, we're going to help. We're going to get the gang involved. Brandon calls Claire to get her and Steve. Mm-hmm. I love that Claire gave a little President Carter shout out. She's like, Habitat for Humanity. That's the one that President Carter and his wife do, right? Mm-hmm. Why? She's always got to have, like, the academic, intelligent, like, comment to go. Just to remind us, Claire Smart. <laughs> and she's ready. She's like, we're going to go, like, we got to put some jeans on. We got to put some, like, moisture-wicking shirts on. Let's go build. Mm-hmm. But Steve shows up at the beach apartment to tell Claire he's getting expelled. Because, of course, he is and should. Yeah, because we haven't talked about it the very – first scene we see with Steve is he's in front of an academic council because they have like undeniable proof that he cheated and he's going to get kicked out. And he, at least he came clean immediately, I guess. I guess. There is no rationalizing any of this, right? But yeah, like in... Most other cases, he doesn't come clean this quickly. He usually tries to say, what? I didn't do anything. Like when he openly kissed a girl in front of Claire. You know, like things like that. But when he pretended he didn't go streaking in front yeah, of her father. That why would the, me. <laughs> why would the chancellor ever be okay with Steve dating his daughter? Like, yeah, exactly. And immediately Claire's reaction is just so Claire. And... So, like, yes, Claire, because she says, you're unbelievable. And then to think I could have had a prince and a Phi Beta Kappa, and instead I have a white-collar criminal. Like, and then she so um, accurately points out, a semester and a half to go. Why? Yeah, like, and what keeps getting me is I swear he had a paper written. Yeah. He chose to not use the work he did mm-hmm. because the quote-unquote easy option was already in front of him. But he did the work. I know. I know. And I guess, like, the next thing that Steve talks about, it it, it is, like, an interesting indictment on his character because he does say, like, I try really hard to do the right thing, even if it's the hard thing, but here comes the easy way. And it just, like, basically messes them up. And I'm like, but Steve, how hard do you really try? And the fact that you know this about yourself, don't put yourself in these situations. Like, at a certain point, the shoe hits the other, or the um, the shit hits the fan and the shoe, what is that phrase? The other shoe drops? Yes, thank you. Good Lord. Um, and you have to face a concept. Like, that's the thing. I think he's been doing this for so long without consequences that that's why this behavior just keeps happening because he's like, oh, I can get away with it. I can get away with it. Nothing bad happens to me ever. That's what bothers me is he knows this about himself and makes no effort to actually grow mm-hmm. from it. Meanwhile, we had the three episodes or whatever that they were broken up and the fact that he started a crew with his keg brothers Mm -hmm. that uh claire was like yeah you've grown you've changed you've improved you've got better i love you let's get back together like Mm -hmm. that's not it claire and she tells him like she's not gonna help him he asks her to go talk to her dad and she's like absolutely not you have to tell brandon and what's more you have to tell brandon before anybody else tells brandon you can try going to my dad but i'm not gonna do it 
Exactly. And they immediately leave, pretty much, because they have to go to Habitat for Humanity, which Claire signed them up for. I cannot imagine that car ride. Ugh. And then you get to the house, and she's probably like, I'm going to go work on that side over there. Mm-hmm. You're going to stay as far away from me as possible. Yeah, handle your own shit, dude. At which point, he waits until he and Brandon are on top of the house. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I guess no escape, maybe? I, don't, <laughs> I guess. I don't really understand. But they get to the top of the house where, you know, Brandon is telling him, like, oh, hey, I ran into Professor Randall today. How weird is that? And Steve mm-hmm. is like, totally weird. I stole your paper and I'm going to get expelled and they know that it's your paper. Weird, right? God. And yeah, I think obviously like how could Steve have ever known that Professor Randall was just going to come back and, you know, be the professor grading the papers and remember whatever, you know, all that. Yeah. But that is not the point. The point is that he plagiarized and he never should have. And even if it was never found out that it was Brandon's paper, it was still Brandon's paper and he still was risking Brandon getting in trouble just by copying it in the first place. So it's like, that's the other thing is every single thing that Steve does, that's quote unquote, the easy way. Like this is not an easy way. Maybe it's an easy way for you to not do any work, but it's not your your, your actions have consequences, but not just for yourself. Whatever you do affects other people too, like the crew stuff with Dick and with Claire and now the paper with Brandon and Professor Randall and the university and Claire and the chancellor. Like it's a ripple effect and he never seems to understand that not only does his consequences have or his actions have consequences, but that everything he does affects other people, not just himself. And we can go back to before the show even started with the amount of times that Steve does right. something and doesn't realize the consequences. Yeah. I mean, things that happened with Kelly when he got that other kid to change his grades in the system in high school and tried to convince him to take the fall. Mm-hmm. Like when he's messed up with David, like every single person in this friend group, Steve has messed up with. And Brandon does ask him, he's like, what did you think was going to happen to me? And that kind right. of becomes a theme for the rest of the episode is – Brandon tries to dig himself out of the hole that Steve put him in, but, mm-hmm. like, with that ripple effect, like, you know, he's trying to get out of the hole, and Professor Randall and Steve are just, like, digging deeper. Right? And I just – I feel so bad for him. He says he gets charged with collusion, which, which – wild. It sounds like this is actual crimes and not just, like – you're going to get in trouble at school with the academic council. Right. Exactly. Exactly. What I do think is interesting when we find out that Brandon's getting charged with collusion, he's telling it to Claire. Yeah. And they're like talking about how Steve essentially doesn't have a plan and that Brandon needs to take care of himself, which Mm -hmm. again, really effed up. And also accurate. Yeah, very accurate. But Claire makes this comment. She's like, oh, I guess I'm basically doing the same thing my mom did because, you know, my dad was a total nerd. And then 
an absent-minded professor, and then my mom got him, like, turned into a chancellor at a university. Yeah, like, essentially saying that her mom loved a project, and now she does, too. Which is not the way you should see your significant other at all. And I think that's the, – the thing with Claire is, like, she has a soft spot for Steve, perhaps because of this, you know, inclination – that she shares with her mother, but also the fact that she's starting to realize it and she had already taken steps to break up with Steve, but again, just has a weakness for him. So brought, you know, took him back. I think what we're going to see is just more and more of that realization. And like, I don't think we're going to have stare for much longer, like legitimately not just break up, get back together. Yeah. Which I'm honestly fine with at this point. Like this would make a lot more sense to me than her breaking up with him for a prince or a Phi Beta Kappa or whatever. Right, right. And I, believe me, 100% can relate to the idea that, like, you still love someone and you're not ready to actually break up with them even though you know you should Mm -hmm. because he's not good for you. Like, I totally get it. She loves him. Yeah. But Steve is kind of a useless guy. Yeah, sometimes love is just not enough, you know? Like, you have to... People fall in love with the wrong people all the time, you know, like they're just not right for you. You're not right for them and they're not right for you. That's it. Yeah. And you just need to get to the point that like you're okay with it and you can do it. And that's not Mm -hmm. where Claire is right now. Exactly. And then we get scenes where, you know, Steve is the chancellor basically begging him to intervene and the chancellor's like, no, what do you think you get immunity for dating my daughter? Exactly. Which Steve did and that's yes. ridiculous yes he's like you're the bmoc like you can do whatever you want it's like steve that is not how the world works for most people <laughs> yeah like steve your privilege is showing yes exactly and your perception of privilege is also showing <laughs> yeah and meanwhile brandon is going to professor randall because he's already talked to the dean And was like, look, I'm innocent. What do I have to do? Mm -hmm. And the dean basically said, like, I believe you. There's really nothing I can do. Professor Randall has to drop the charges. Yeah. Again, weird to me that this is, like, a crime. Yeah, like, charge – yeah, they're using phrases like drop the charges, collusion, um, overwhelming evidence, like, stuff like that. (laughs) Which I've never been, you know, caught plagiarizing a paper at a collegiate level kind of a thing. So, like, I really don't know if this is actually how it is. Right. But what I really don't get (laughs) is that Brandon has gone to Professor Randall to be like, if you drop the charges, I can be free. And, look, I know that, you know, we have a sordid past with me having an affair with your ex-wife and catching you with the student athletes and also the baseball thing that Steve did. Like, why would you bring all this up when asking him to help you? It is hilarious. Like, God, this scene was so wild to me because, yeah, like, I couldn't decide if it was just a legitimate troll job by Randall to be, like, just inflating Brandon's ego. If you didn't write an amazing paper three years ago and I only kept it because I loved it so much. Like, he didn't say those things, but he basically did. That he never would have noticed. But then, yeah, as soon as Brandon brings up the cheating and the baseball and the student athletes and stuff, 
Professor Randall's reaction, he just goes from zero to a hundred so quick. And he's like, no, no, they don't have, the two have nothing to do with each other. And you're guilty until proven innocent in, in my book, like stuff like that. I'm like, whoa, okay. Your jealousy and your like um, retribution is, is very obvious here, sir. Right. Like this is a case of like Brandon talking too much and then randall exposing too much like he's like exactly no no no. this has nothing to do with it like you're protesting too much my friend yes like randall might as well have called a vengeance demon (laughs) on brandon (laughs) like (laughs) hellfrag just gonna show up here and and scorn brandon (laughs) oh it would have been perfect if it was anya and then he was just like wait a minute (laughs) yeah what uh but I I guess that night, I'm not really sure the exact timeline here. The next time we see Brandon, he is taking the computer out of the kitchen, which oh is a very gosh. like, you have lost the privilege to use this thing, so I'm taking it away from you. It's very like parent to child, which is so often how I'll sometimes I see brandon and steve's relationship i mean literally even in the past couple of episodes all the comments about like yeah we are really different and like steve you're gonna try to be the best steve you can be you know stuff like that it's like steve doesn't realize because he's got such an immature you know personality and brandon sees it all and it's just like ugh. but you know you're just so dang lovable you know stuff like that so not surprising at all to see brandon taking the computer away but then he's still so mad which rightfully so. Yeah. I mean, he tells him, like, you've ruined everything I have worked for. Yep. Because you're selfish and you stole from me. Yes. Like, what kind of a friend does that make you? Yeah. And we see them again on Thanksgiving where for some reason Val and Claire have asked them to call a truce and be friends today. And so they, you know, cheers their wine glasses. But, I mean, I just don't see – where this is going to go. Like, I don't see how Steve doesn't get kicked out of school, how Brandon Mm -hmm. doesn't get charged with collusion and has that on his record and how frankly, they stay living together. I just don't see it. I agree. And what I didn't like about, I didn't mind Val and Claire trying to be like you know put away your differences for today only I didn't mind that what I minded is that Brandon was the one to be like happy Thanksgiving Steve like he and and that's like the pettiness inside me I think coming out just because I'm like Brandon didn't do anything wrong here Mm -hmm. you know I was like getting defensive for Brandon like Steve should have been the one begging for forgiveness and saying happy Thanksgiving and 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 sending out that olive branch you know not Brandon and so that's the only thing I wasn't because because to your point, that's the whole point of this, to your point is that Brandon's going to take the high road. I could see Steve still getting expelled, but Brandon taking pity on Steve and taking the high road and still letting him live there. You know, because yeah. that's just, that's Brandon. Yeah, that is Brandon. And like, it makes me really sad for him. Like he literally just like opened his car and house to a woman he met for five minutes at the peach pit last episode he's definitely not going to make steve live elsewhere or flounder you know i mean he should 
he should just like let him fall into the deep end and see how he can swim but it's just not brandon he's an enabler as much as he is a good person yeah i think that's exactly the thing i think he's trying to be a good person and help his friends because that's what he's been taught to do and the negative impact of that that he probably doesn't even realize Mm -hmm. to its full extent is that he is enabling them to do the bad thing yeah like yeah steve is not gonna face consequences again i mean i can't explain how they're gonna get out of it but he got expelled from high school and his mom got him back in i don't even remember how she did exactly he just had to have detention for the rest of the year which a couple times he got out of that too yeah he got to go to the Christmas thing, even though he wasn't supposed to be there. And Miss mm-hmm. Teasley was just like, oh, Steve. Oh, Steve. So, yeah, I just, I don't know how he gets out of this and how Brandon forgives him. But I'm sure it's going to happen and it's got to happen soon because, frankly, Thanksgiving is almost the end of the semester. Mm-hmm. They keep saying a semester and a half. And I'm like, no, a semester and like two weeks. Like, clearly they, you know, they were on a different school system back then. You know, like, they started school in mid to late September and ended the semester in January? (laughs) Yeah, didn't they all have their finals last time after Christmas? They did. Yeah. Yeah. I think we have this conversation every single semester where we're just like, I don't understand, but seven months have passed and we've forgotten we had the conversation last time. (laughs) I just I don't yeah. get it and I don't get how Claire stays friends with him and I don't get how anybody else tolerates him especially considering everybody else's opinion of Brandon in this friend group mm-hmm. like who is going to side with let Steve hang around when he jeopardized Brandon. Yeah, well that's that's a good point. I didn't think of it like that. Like I mean I- I guess they let him stick around after they all found out what he did to Kelly. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's definitely a still, I keep trying to tell myself like we're all selfish when we're 21, 22 years uh, old. So it's like, they're probably not even thinking about it like that. They're thinking about how it affects them, you know, individually than it does like like maybe they are thinking about Brandon in some regards, like, you know, standards wise, but also like they're probably just like, well, shit, I'm glad he didn't do that to me. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, the people on this show are much more forgiving than I even am at 32. And I, well, think I think that's, that's what, the point. Like, like if we were 22 talking about this, I'd be like, yeah, screw him. Yeah. Like, you know, whatever. <laughs> but like now I'm like, God, Steve, you know, like grow up. <laughs> yeah. I, Remains to be seen what happens mm-hmm. to Steve Sanders this time. Right, this time. Do, do you think maybe by the time he gets out of college, he'll stop doing this? I don't like, know. <laughs> at what point does the safety net fall apart? We haven't had a visit from Rush in a long time. I was just about to say that. Like, what's <laughs> the over-under that we get Rush next episode screaming at Steve for being so stupid right before his disciplinary hearing or whatever they are going to call it? Mm-hmm. And then Brandon seeing this and being like, gosh, I'm so sorry, Steve, still live in your room. Right? Like, that's how I could see this unfolding. Yeah. Okay. Maybe, like, Rush shows up and donates a wing or something and gets him to stay in college. And then, but he yells at Steve a bunch. And that's yep. when 
it gets Brandon, and so he gets out of it because of money and parental abuse. Mm-hmm. Cool. I know, right? So cool. Can't wait. <laughs> I hope that doesn't happen. I know, me too. <sighs> okay. Are we ready to talk about our sweet boy, David? Well, yes. But I did want to mention there was like one little habitat scene that yeah. I thought was worth mentioning. Okay. So yep. while they were working on the house, like we said earlier, we think like Claire just like was like, you go work over there. I'm going to go all the way over here and not work with you, which would explain why Claire and Val are like weirdly pa- paired up <laughs> working on the house together. Um, and so they go off to basically like make sure everything's level and ready to plumb. I don't know. That didn't sound right at the time, but you know, I know nothing about this. <laughs> um, and Claire's like, Oh man, you sure do know a lot about contracting and building things and like keeping things up to code. I totally thought Val was going to be like, well, yeah, I actually had to learn about all of this for the pee pad, you know, like oh. with her business side of things for the pee pad. I totally thought, she was going to go that way, but she didn't. She went the route of saying that her dad was actually a contractor. And so she spent a lot of time either on site with him or just learning from him, you know, while he was working on his jobs. And then it gets really, really tense. Mm-hmm. Because Claire, I guess, doesn't know I about was... her dad's suicide. So I was thinking about that. And yeah, I don't think Claire was really part of the friend group when Val showed up Mm -hmm. because I think Brandon kind of like hush-hush told everybody like this is, Mm. you know, what happened, but like don't make a big deal out of it. Like we don't know how this is affecting her. And then I think maybe like right after that is when Claire moved into the beach apartment. Like Mm. I guess it makes sense that maybe Claire didn't know. Yeah. But yeah, Val just brings it up and it's just like, oh yeah, my dad, you know, took his own life. It was a long time ago, which I don't think it was. I think it was only a couple of years ago. Yeah, because we see Val move in freshman year of college, right? Sophomore year of college. So Okay. Yeah, I have to keep reminding myself because season four was the first year of college and Brenda was still around. That's and then right. Brenda leaves and yes, Val yes, comes yes. in. Yes. Thank you. Yep. That's perfect. Good time. Yeah. And then, yeah, Claire's reaction to this is like, oh my gosh, well, you know, I also have a parent who's not around anymore. My mom's gone. Mm-hmm. And she's like, but I think it's, you know, at least we have good memories of them. And Val's just, <laughs> she's like, I have some of them. I have some mm-hmm. good memories. And then just pieces out, drops it. Yeah, it's it is interesting they brought that up in this episode because we have not talked about Val's dad in a while on the show. Like mm-hmm. the yep. three of us have talked about it because we think that whatever happened with her father, be it just his death or something more, mm-hmm. has had an effect on her. I mean, she literally just had an affair with a man who had kids and like yes. did her whole thing. So, yeah, I do think it's interesting that that scene, it was, what, maybe two minutes? Yeah, pretty short. And was just there. I mean, that's got to be coming up. Which, 
I'll go on record and say I'm not excited about that. Yeah, I'm nervous about it. I want to know. I think, mm-hmm. you know, it could be an interesting story. Mm-hmm. But I also, especially after what's going on with David, like, I feel like I need to start, like, really emotionally preparing myself for episodes. Like, Oh, for sure. We, yeah, need, yeah, we yeah. need a break soon. We need, like, a good Christmas episode where they dress like plaque and go sit in a giant mouth. Like, Yeah, we need the voiceover with the weird angels yeah. coming again. <laughs> Clarence and and whatnot. They just got to go check on Donna. Yeah. (laughs) Like, we got multiple angels in this story now. (laughs) Yeah, I wonder when that's going to come up. I mean, speaking of Christmas, that's like right around the corner. Like, yeah, Christmas is a time to start bringing up family stuff, especially when at Thanksgiving, your family's not there and you're just like in your friend family. And presumably like the only other person, I guess, Two people we've heard about from Buffalo have been Ginger and um, Val's mom, mm-hmm. which I'm trying to remember her name. I feel like it started with an A. I have no idea. Maybe not. I don't remember. I've lost I'm, it. But I just know Cindy talked to her, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And they don't have a good relationship either. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens at Christmas, mm-hmm. I guess. I've just decided that it's going to happen at Christmas now. Yep. I mean, it, it would make sense. It would. Um, so, yeah. I. Are we ready to talk about David? Let's do it. Okay. Donna and David get into an argument at school about why David's behavior has been so erratic and why he skipped his midterm and the doctor appointment he and Donna set up. The argument turns into an angry outburst and David cuts his hand, slapping a glass off the table, so he has to go see a doctor anyway. His attitude improves very little once his hand has been treated, and the hospital recommends an evaluation from the resident psychiatrist, Dr. Tate, who I am in love with. David continues to refuse to cooperate, even after he's been placed on a 72-hour hold for a more thorough evaluation, but eventually Dr. Tate and David reach the edge of a breakthrough, and it finally comes when Sheila pays him a visit in the hospital. We were just saying we need mom. Agreed. Like, Mel has done what he has done. And it's a shame it's taken this long to kind of, like, make that connection and and get to this point. But Mm -hmm. I'm so thankful we got Sheila back for the episode. Yeah, because it seems like, you know, Mel probably goes into – like get the thing done mode yeah right like he's like I've seen this before I know it works with Sheila I just got to do it I got to get it over with I got to like do this for David and it's Mm -hmm. not I think he has to kind of compartmentalize and be a little less emotional right with it and then Donna's very emotional with it but she doesn't understand I mean right she's never experienced this before exactly because she the first scene we see in the episode actually is Donna walking over to David where he's studying he actually kind of looks really bad and I appreciate that they like didn't shave him and they didn't like fully style his hair Mm -hmm. so he just like doesn't look a hundred percent right and we find out like he says he's just not sleeping he's like been really stressed about school and everything but he blew off a midterm and a doctor's appointment because of quote-unquote conflicting schedules Yeah, 
which is obviously a lie, you know, because he also, if it was a conflicting schedule, like the appointment with his midterm and he took the midterm, that would make sense. But he blew off the midterm. Yeah, he really just hasn't been doing much of anything lately Mm -hmm. other than like spending all of his money and going to Vegas and like, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And, you know, Donna thought this like physical with the doctor was going to figure out what's wrong with him. Like she gets really upset that he's not doing things and he starts the fight with her, tells her to back off and she's like, okay, fine. And then he blows up. And throws a book and then, like, hits the glass off the table, which I guess presumably, like, it hits the pillar, it breaks, it ricochets off and, like, puts this deep gash in his hand. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was so interesting that he, like, didn't even notice. Not even a little bit. He is, like, so in his emotions. This other girl asks if he's okay. He's yelling at her. And then Donna's just like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, she's genuinely scared at this point. Yeah, so she takes him to the hospital, calls Mel. You know, while David is back getting his hand stitched up, they're kind of talking, and Mel is finally just like, look, there's there's no way around it. David has to have bipolar disorder like his mom does. Yeah. And then the doctor comes out and kind of, like, reconfirms their suspicions and is like, look, he's been really unruly, while we've been treating him, we'd like to bring in a psychologist. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate that the doctor asks if David's been on drugs and, like, they have to have a moment to be like, he's not on drugs right now, right? right. Like, no, he wouldn't mm-hmm. be. Well, and, yeah, like, I think that's totally important, number one. Yeah, because he has had, you know, substance problems in the past, but also drugs you know, what depending on what you take can cause this too. So, you know, I think it's a combination here, right? Like he's been technically using, you know, alcohol as a way to self-medicate, which we talk about a little bit later, but, you know, it's, it's not like he's on any prescriptions and he's not, um, he's not abusing, mm-hmm. you know, any kind of drugs that we know of at this point. Um, but I was like, you should, probably also run a blood test like that's <laughs> that's what I was thinking I was like that. yeah if he's in here and you're already bringing in a psychologist like maybe go ahead and try and like compel like a blood test a urine mm-hmm. test a hair test like whatever you need to do just to confirm because there's also that idea of like you need to know what somebody has taken in order to know how to treat them yes and so like let's eliminate all the physical before we start dealing with the mental exactly that was my thought too <laughs> yeah but they bring in Tony Todd as a psychologist mm-hmm. and like I love the angles that are going on here that are like making you a little like off center. I love Tony Todd in general. I just think he is a great actor and he is in freaking everything. Everything. For the last 30 years, everything. Yeah. I went to his IMDb to just like see everything that he's been in, which, you know, takes you 20 minutes to scroll. Mm-hmm. But then you look at all the stuff that's in like current post-production it was like same thing 15 things he's so busy he's so busy and I love that he's doing both live action and voice work like because he has a hell of a voice like holy moly yeah no I I think he's great and I love 
that he's in this because, yeah, he has that voice. He has that face. He's got, like, that good demeanor that, mm-hmm. you know, you can understand why David's been, like, shut off with him. And he's getting, like, really up close with David and basically getting nowhere. Yeah. And then he ends up going out and kind of recommending, like, look, since he's actively in the hospital, what we can do is we can place a 72-hour hold on him. He cannot leave. We have to make sure that he's okay, which, Mm -hmm. fair. That is something you should do. David just hurt himself Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. without meaning to. But still. that means that he could do it again. He could go into, like, a fit of rage and not understand what's happening in his own brain chemistry. Mm Mm-hmm. And he basically, like, he's very gentle about it. He's like, we want to evaluate him and see if in these 72 hours we can just get him back in balance. Yeah. Yeah, and I appreciate that that was the language used, you know, because Mm -hmm. it's not something that needs to be, quote, unquote, fixed. Or David is not a problem, you know. It's like I appreciate that the language was about equilibrium, essentially, back on track is it mm-hmm. you know would i would have also been fine with because yeah it's just it, it's a lot more this isn't a black and white thing and this is not something that is inherently this doesn't make david wrong it just mm-hmm. he's just off kilter you know and and yeah. i think it's important that he used that language especially with donna and, yes. and the reason I say that, and even if it was intentional or unintentional, it opens, it allows Donna to hear language that then she can process in her mind and in the future use with David. So mm-hmm. it's not harmful and it's not, it's not even um, unintentionally harmful, you know? Yeah. I think it's really important that this isn't just about David. This is about people around him understanding how he exhibits behaviors Mm -hmm. like there are episodes of Degrassi where they talk about how like depression manifests itself in different ways like you might see somebody who's like really sad all the time or somebody who's just like not expressing emotion at all or someone who's really angry and you have to understand how that specific person and their brain chemistry work Mm -hmm. so that you can talk to them I mean I think it's really interesting that Mel asks about an outpatient program and the doctor is like, look, I think we need to all be supportive of David right now. I think this is what he needs. Yes. Agreed. Like that's even the same thing. Like Mel is trying to, I guess, probably negotiate in his own mind of like David doesn't need to be hospitalized. He's David. He's okay. Yeah. And the doctor's like, look, we should all get on board for David. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And then Mel says he's going to call Sheila. And Donna says she's not going anywhere, and I just really hope that David understands the support system that he has in that moment. A hundred percent, and and that's that's kind of like eventually what Doctor Tate says to David is that he's not alone. Um, you know, it takes a little bit because he's still trying to get David to feel comfortable and safe talking to him, mm-hmm. um, and so like the next time we see them or yeah, them together, David's still really hesitant. He said he's being held against his own will. He won't take the mild sedative that kind of like alleviates some anxieties. And he was like, 
well, I don't care about that. Like I'm anxious because I'm being held here against my will and because I don't want to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, you know, Dr. Tate is still trying to explain like, no, we have a session. Like we're just, we're here to see how things are going with you. Um, stuff like that. And it's, it's tough. I mean, I don't presume to understand what David's going through, but it would be tough to feel kind of like at war with yourself you mm-hmm. know, to kind of like have this time to not be around those things that do cause you to have the high highs or the low lows, but to be here and not really understand why you can't just go back to living your life, you know? Yeah. And I really appreciate that they mentioned that he's refusing medication. Yeah. Because, I mean, David has had a drug dependency. He just had the alcohol dependency. He literally mm-hmm. just got drugged by strangers and robbed. Mm-hmm. Like, and mm-hmm. then you think about the history that his mom has had that he's only just learning about where she goes on and off medications. Like David has trauma around yes. medication and the fact that he's refusing it now, even though it's, yeah, presumably a light sedative to help calm him down, make it so he can sleep through the night. Like that's very real to me. Very much so. Yep. And yeah, he just like, he's not interested. The mm-hmm. doctor leaves him, you know, all of his clothes that he can wear. He doesn't bring him a toothbrush, which I don't know why that really bothered me that I'm like, <laughs> can David go take a shower? Yeah. Like, he'll feel so much better if he can like do all those things as well. Right. Which I'm sure is off screen, but mm-hmm. I just really wish there was like a toothbrush on top of the sweatpants. But Dr. Tate goes out and sees that Donna is still there, and he starts to talk to her too, and I loved it. I love that this man is getting the full story, and right. he wants to talk to everyone in this, in this space and make sure that he's got all of it and that everyone feels good. Agreed, because this is like a perfect opportunity for Donna to share her perspective of Portland, mm-hmm. you know, like she is putting pieces together. She and Mel are starting to like talk about things more. So now when Donna is able to say like, you know, when we were in Portland, Portland, I I wasn't there when David found his mom, but I, from what David told me, it was a very traumatic situation for David. They learned that she's manic depressive, like all this stuff. And then Donna, you know, whether or not it was right for her to conjecture about this is is you know you could you could question either way but she does say that she thinks that david's running from either himself or his mother and and i do think there's a lot of truth in that you know and i'm sure that that dr tate is taking everything at face value and making his own conclusions and things like that but i do think it's it's definitely something that even in portland david was scared of he didn't want to turn out like his mother he said that over and over and over mm-hmm. Yeah, having just met Dr. Tate, I feel like you can take my opinions with a grain of salt, but I do think, you know, he's hearing these things from Donna and knowing, like, this is your perspective. Like, yeah. I have to make my own opinions of it. But yeah, I appreciate he's a professional. <laughs> yeah, right. I just, I appreciate that, like, she gets to say those things and he gets to hear her. And, like, his affirmation is, like, he's really lucky to have you. Mm hmm. Which is what everyone says. I mean, Donna's an angel on earth. If Dr. Tate had literally been like, you're an angel on earth, Donna, would not have been surprised. Yeah. I would have been like, yep, par for the course. Yeah. 
And the next morning, we see David having his session where Doctor basically, like, recaps the season for us, which, you know, I think we've done that pretty much every single episode. But once you put together everything that's happened to David, it's a lot. It makes Mm -hmm. sense that, like, this is the thing that triggered the brain chemistry to, like, start releasing whatever it does. Like, it, it makes sense that we've seen smaller stuff and now we see the big thing. For sure. I mean, it's and just all piling up and 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 even David gets he gets up from the bed and mm-hmm. then goes to the window and just is kind of like haven't you ever wanted to just like escape it? You know, it's he's like don't you ever just lose it? Like sometimes people just get upset. You know, he's trying to almost be relating here like mm-hmm. like don't you do this haven't you felt this felt this way and of course there's there's language that david says that of of course everyone relates to like yeah sometimes you do just lose your temper sometimes you do just want to get away from responsibility or from bad things that have happened to you but then you know he does say some other things that are a little bit more intense and dr tate's like well no i've i've never gone that far mm-hmm and I, I think that's where there's a little bit of a breakthrough where David's like, well, you're not understanding or something. He says something like that. And then Dr. Tate explains that, you know, David's been self-medicating, like all of these these methods that he's been taking to, quote unquote, cope with everything that's been happening is a means of self-medicating and not facing all these things head on or dealing with this trauma. Um, but it's also an opportunity for Dr. Tate to say that he has a support system and that he's not alone. Mm. Yeah, it's it's kind of wild. Like, I feel like at the beginning of this scene, I was like, David's body language keeps saying, like, I've got 48-ish hours and then I'm out of here. Like, yeah. I'm not responding to this. And then pretty immediately, he's like, no, I've just been, like, bouncing off the walls because I have the money. And he's just moving around. And thankfully, yeah, doc- I feel like Dr. Tate gets through to him pretty quickly to be like Mm -hmm. look you you have to understand this is not how you're supposed to feel like you shouldn't feel out of control right and I appreciate that David says you know like who's to say who's in control like Mm. that's not a universal truth but I also love the doctor being like you don't have to feel like this we cut ahead to that night and David is having a nightmare so what I think is really interesting in the nightmare, it's like pouring rain. He's in an alley. He's looking for his mom. It's supposed to be like real reminiscent of Portland. But then when he like goes to tap someone on the shoulder, it's him. Mm-hmm. And he wakes up and it's just like covered in sweat. Yeah. Like that it was raining in the dream and then he wakes up so sweaty. Yep. But he starts screaming for Dr. Tate and I just like, I feel so bad. Like he's where he needs to be. But imagine waking up like that alone oh for sure and not having access to somebody right then and there Mm -hmm. and like it then hurts me more because not only is donna in the waiting room at this point and like just can't get to him because you know they have to keep that separation Mm -hmm. but sheila shows up Mm -hmm. and his mom is there yeah it's it's breaking my heart in a good way at this point mm-hmm. because it does show that support system. But God, when Sheila's talking to Donna and Donna's kind of like telling her what's going on, 
when she says that she feels guilty, I don't know that that, I don't know that there ever could have been another sentence that would have been as impactful Mm -hmm. because like, how could you not, how could you not feel guilty? There's nothing you can do about it, but yet you know, it's directly coming from you. Like, Oh my God. No, I mean, we're at the age where our friends are having kids and Mm -hmm. like, I have had friends say things to me where they're just like, I, you know, they don't go into details, which is their right, but they're like, I have something that like I need to deal with myself before I can consider having a kid because I don't want to risk them getting it. Yeah. And then there's just that, but there's also the stuff you can't control. Yeah. You know, like like you can't control if your child's going to have anxiety. You can't control if your child is going to have, you know, ADHD or ADD or autism or anything. You know, you can't, there's so many things you can't control. And this is one of those things, but also Sheila didn't have the tools that she needed to understand it and mm-hmm. and to know how to keep things in balance. And now that she does, it's not that it's too late because it's not too late for David. Mm-hmm. It's just she hasn't been able to be around. So mm-hmm. she hasn't been able to give David the the knowledge and the safe space for him to understand what could or couldn't happen. And so now she feels guilty for not only being having to pass something on that she can't control, but she feels guilty because she wasn't able to help her son deal with this, you know, like, Mm -hmm. gosh, I just think about how the three of us, you know, we're totally open about being in therapy and what good it's done for us so that if any of us were to have kids, like we would be able to provide that for our kid, we would totally be not, obviously it's not perfect, but we would be able to provide our child with a a safe space Mm -hmm. to feel their feelings, to go through what they're going through, to be unbalanced, but understand that you can get back in balance, like whatever that may be. And I just, I feel for Sheila so much here in, in just so many ways. Yeah. I mean, you know, going off of that, my therapist always says like, you have to put on your own air mask before you can put on somebody else's, like what they say on airplanes. Mm-hmm. And like, that's kind of what Sheila's been having to do. She had to get herself, you know, David saved her in Portland. Like he found her and he saved her. Then she got on her medication. She got into that like halfway home to like get her back into society. And now, you know, she's much more balanced and she's able to do these things now. She's got her emergency situation taken care of. Now she can help David. Right. But she's going to feel that guilt of like in between those moments, she wasn't there for him. And that's not, it's not fair to her, but she's going to feel it. Yeah, of course. Of course. But, oh, I loved it so much. Like it got me when she said that she felt terrible that she like passed it on to him. And then the next morning when David is laying there, very much like she was when she was in the hospital. Yep. He's facing away from the door. And he's not eating. And he's just there. And his mom comes to visit him. And the smile when he saw her. I like, I don't know that I've ever cried at this show before. I really don't remember. I cried. 
Yeah. Like, there were tears right? on my face. I just got chills, like, as you were talking about it. Like, it just shows how much how much capacity human beings have for love and care and just, I don't know, there's just something to be said for just that feeling of when somebody you love loves you back, you know, like just the presence that, I don't, I don't know, just because David and Sheila don't have a close relationship and they haven't for years, mm-hmm. but it didn't matter because it was his mom and she was there and that's all he needed in that moment. Oh my gosh. And then he tries to tell her, he's like, I'm okay. Don't worry. And she's just like, I'm here for you. Yeah. Like, don't you think I understand? And the fact that they can bond over the same experience or a similar experience, I think finally sets David in a place where he feels safe. Mm-hmm. And, and to be able to define some of these things, he mm-hmm. hasn't been able to put a name to these feelings and put a name to why things are happening, but they bond over the really high highs and mm-hmm. the really low lows. Yeah, I loved that moment where he's mm-hmm. like, yeah, the doctor has classified me as manic depressive, but like, what does he know? And Sheila's like, yeah, he hasn't been there like you and I have. We understand it. and it. It's got to mean so much more that his mom is like, look, they said you don't need medication as long as you try therapy and you don't like try therapy instead of alcohol, like go through the process, but you don't have to do medication. And like that's coming from his mom. That's not coming from a doctor that he just met 48 hours ago. Right. And I love when she's like, I did it the hard way. You don't have to. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. I know. I love them. I know. This is like, this is just a reminder that this show is a lot of things, but this proves what a good quality show this is. And you can see how it paved the way for so many other shows after that came after it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like it had conversations that we literally have today, especially in the mental health space. And the fact that they were doing this in 96, huge, huge. So I'm, like, a huge psychology nerd, um, and, like, one of my favorite things in, like, any show ever is when they take on, like, these, like, mental health topics and try to do, like, a portrayal of what that looks like in a character, mm-hmm. and so many shows do a horrible job of trying to depict mental illness, and I'm so pleased with how David's story was handled, Like, it's by no means perfect, Mm -hmm. but it's really it's it's not bad at all. It's it's actually really good, and yeah, David's whole talk with his mom was just like chef's kiss. Mm -hmm. Like I loved it. Just her being like, "It's really fun when you're up there, isn't it?" Huh? And he's like, "Yeah." "Yeah, like you feel invincible. You can't like it feels like you can't do anything wrong, but like. Also, yeah, you're completely out of control at that point. Like, you feel like you can handle everything, but really you can't. And you're going to swing back down. But if you don't have the high highs, you don't have to have the low lows. So let's just find that balance and try to keep it. And yeah, I just really liked that so much. 
Me so, too. So good job, 90210. I know. Agreed. Totally Gold agree. star. <laughs> Who wrote this episode? I, I didn't even look. I looked, and I do not remember off the top of my head. It oh, was written one. by John Welpley. Okay. Let's see. I mean, he's been a writer on 90210 for a little bit. Okay, yeah. He wrote Snowbound, <laughs> which actually had a little bit of David in it, which is interesting. Yeah, so it looks like one, two, three, four. This is his sixth episode that he's done out of eight. Mm-hmm. So he did Fortunate Son, Snowbound, Coming Out, Getting Out, Going Out, Ticket to Ride, A Mate for Life, and now If I Had a Hammer. So that wide variety. But I think what's important there is that he's had several episodes under his belt at this point. So he probably like be- knew better the characters to, you know, kind of help bolster. So he wasn't writing things that were completely out of character for each character, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it looks like there was also a credited story editor who has been kind of the story editor for a decent bit of this season. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he's credited with writing the episode. She's credited with editing it. I don't know necessarily off the top of my head what the difference is, but yeah, it does seem like he's got a handle on this episode and kind of where the characters are going this season. Okay. Yeah. Actually, um, remembered a caveat that I wanted to add to uh, what I just said a minute ago. Um, it is really interesting to me that the show um, uses the term manic depression rather than bipolar disorder. Um, mm-hmm. I did look it up, and that term was changed in the DSM in 1980. But, oh. like, so it has been bipolar disorder for, like, 16 years at this point. Mm-hmm. But then again, like, people are likely more familiar with the term manic depression. But that was changed because of the stigma that comes with the word manic because Mm -hmm. people were called maniacs and that Mm. literally makes you sound not sane and more dangerous. So that's why that was changed to not be as stigmatized. That's it. I'm glad you looked that up because I knew they had changed it from manic depressive to bipolar disorder. And like we've changed the way we talk about things like you have bipolar disorder versus you are a manic depressive Mm -hmm. but I kind of yeah assumed that it changed after they had already classified Sheila as manic depressive Mm. what last season two seasons ago Mm -hmm. like I just kind of assumed it happened after that and that they kept it going I didn't look it up yeah um I it's like it's really likely that Sheila was diagnosed as a manic depressive because it wasn't changed likely when she got her diagnosis and like Mm -hmm. maybe because that's the term that they're familiar with they just kept it going um but yeah also copies of the dsm are like ridiculously expensive so i wouldn't blame the hospital for having an out-of-date copy yeah or frankly the show for not buying a dsm4 or exactly like they couldn't google it so i forgive them yeah good point I yeah. also wonder sometimes too because the word bipolar has also colloquially collo- in common phrasing has been used negatively like not 
similar to mania or maniac um and has kind of been um used to an extreme as well Mm -hmm. so that's kind of where my mind went but it makes more sense what you're saying about like just access Mm -hmm. to the dsm5 and and whatnot so yeah and it's Like, yeah, and that just goes into, like, language and how interesting it is. Like, we change the terms for things to, like, reduce stigma around that term, but then that term picks up a stigma of its own. So Mm -hmm. the language, like, we use to describe mental health issues um, is going to just keep continuously changing. And, Yeah. yeah, so, like, it's hard to keep up. It is hard to keep up. I mean, we talk about that in mental health as well as kind of just life in general, too. I mean, we talk about things that are okay to say 20 years ago that are not okay to say now because we're learning more about not just stigmas, but what's offensive and what's not, you know, and so what harms somebody versus what lifts someone up, you know? Yeah. So so it is interesting that even in the scientific arena Mm -hmm. even that evolves too yeah which is why it's so important for shows like this that have the following that they do to stigmatize it by Mm -hmm. having someone like david have a mental health disorder yes like i feel like that was you know really important and it's something that needs to keep happening and like yeah that's our best bet is to just keep talking about it Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like, I love to see this kind of representation in media and especially in shows that are geared more towards younger audiences because there's, like, a lot to learn in your entertainment. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, keep doing it. Keep giving us that representation. I love it. I want to see more. And thank you. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I loved 14 years of Degrassi. Yes, absolutely. And. I don't know if David ended up staying for his full 72 hours or this moment with his mom led to like an early release, quote unquote, but it is Thanksgiving and David shows up. He's out of the hospital. And did you notice uh, Brandon calls him Silbear? Oh my God. Okay. I have to reveal it because originally I had a different quote of the week. That is my quote of the week. That is my quote of the show. Silbear? <laughs> Silbear. Are you kidding me? How freaking cute is that? <laughs> and it was like, it's perfect because it's like kind of silver, but it's Silbear. And it's like, buddy, bear, I miss exactly. you. Exactly. It's so sweet. Like, ugh. And and everyone is so happy to see him. There's mm-hmm. no like weirdness of like, oh, David just got out of the hospital. They're just unequivocal. Like, there's no asterisk here. They're just happy that he is out. He is good. He is here. Yeah. Agreed. And, you know, Donna tells him to come sit by her. And then they have a conversation about – I loved this. I love that he's like, I don't understand why you're always there for me when I've done nothing for you. And Donna's basically just like, what are you talking about? Like, you've been there for me forever. You were my first kiss. Mm-hmm. You are my first love. Like – you're David. Why would I not be there for you? Yeah. It just shows like dedication, right? Mm -hmm. That just because you're not, which granted we'll get to that, but just because you're not with somebody romantically doesn't mean 
you're not a huge and important part of somebody's life. I mean, Mm -hmm. God, I remember my first love. I remember my first kiss. Like that person, albeit we are not currently still in contact, but like those memories are incredibly formative memories that will stay with me for the rest of my life despite anything else that happened. Um, So I just, I yeah. And and I appreciate David's acknowledgement, right? Like, Mm That's something that we have acknowledged on this show that David, it, it d- doesn't always seem like a 50-50 relationship in whatever mm-hmm. form or fashion. But what we're learning is that there are perhaps reasons that couldn't we couldn't explain and that the show wasn't explaining that now also David is learning about himself. Donna is learning about David. And now maybe they can move forward in more of an equal partnership when it comes to their friendship. Friendship? Or romance. Well, apparently because, romance. <laughs> yeah, because David says I'm not crazy, which I can appreciate that he's just straight up like, I'm not crazy. She's like, oh, well, then what are you? And he goes, crazier about you. I love you, Donna. And she says, I love you too. And then they kiss. And I guess they're back together again. I guess. I feel like this is a – it might be this specific relationship out of this entire show where we're just kind of like, are they dating? Can someone like be very clear to us? Like put a sign up, like currently dating, not currently dating. Oh, I can explain. That is what we um, in the biz like to call a not platonic, platonic, not platonic mouth kiss. (laughs) In the business. (laughs) That's a very specific sage direction. We get the script and it's like a platonic, not platonic, platonic, but not platonic. It's only slightly open. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, I'm not Don't kidding. Kiss her Do like your lips Andrea. like this and only yeah. for a second. I wish the listener could see what yeah. I'm doing with my hands, but. <laughs> like, what if in the script they specifically were like, not like Andrea kisses you, but not like Brandon kisses you? <laughs> Just right in the middle. Yeah. We got 20% Brandon, 80% Andrea. Yeah, yeah. Make little beaks like, with your hands and uh, <laughs> just just bite each other with them, but only at the tip. <laughs> just the tip. Do that with your mouth. <laughs> what if the direct oh, director, Jason Priestley, was literally just like, now do this? Oh, my God. What if Jason was – seriously, he would have been like, now, you've seen me kiss a girl on this show. Don't do that. <laughs> oh, my God. That's why – Brandon was sitting at the other end of the table so yeah. that they could go over there and he could just get up behind the camera and be like, now kiss. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But, like, seriously, if we get to next episode and it's not very clearly Claire being like, oh, so you and David got back together, I'm going to be confused for weeks. Mm-hmm. I d- like, is this it? Are they back together? Are they – is this temporary? I mean – there's also a question of should he really be starting a romantic relationship when he's just about to like really kick his road to understanding himself into high gear? Like Mm -hmm. maybe we like park the brakes a little bit. Yeah. That's kind of what I was thinking too. But I guess on the bright side, it's with somebody who has been around and, and in, in this with him, you Mm -hmm. know, it would be weirder if it was Val. Yeah. It's, it's Donna who has been there. And yeah. he's dated three times now. And she's clearly fully prepared to give him whatever emotional support he needs. So exactly. at the very least, we have that. Mm-hmm. And at the most, I guess, they're a couple again. 
Yeah. Actually, I would love if they have a conversation of just like kind of like what's happening with Brandon and Kelly where we're in the same book, but we're maybe not on the same page yet Mm -hmm. because I'm not ready to give you what you need in a relationship and it's not fair to you to start that relationship before I'm emotionally in a space. Like, yeah, I would love that conversation. Who knows if we'll get it? I really don't know. I I would love it. I agree. And yeah, I think we did it. Thanksgiving. I feel like Thanksgiving on 90210 is like Thanksgiving with friends. Like you always got to have the Thanksgiving episode. Yes. It's always Friendsgiving. Which I love it. I'm for it. So, Caitlin, what is next week? Next week, season seven, episode 12, Judgment Day. I mean, that's Steve. Like, it better I, be Steve. <laughs> I don't even have a question here. It's definitely Steve. Because they even said, like, you can't do anything until the hearing next week, so just call a truce today. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I – no question. And we know that your quote of the week is Silbear. Uh, yes. A hundred times yes. I don't think I wrote down any other mentionable quotes for the week. Mary, did you write anything down or do you have a moment, a petty gripe, anything? What do you got? Um, My moment of the week is for sure every second that Sheila was on screen. Mm -hmm. She Mm -hmm. looks so good and healthy and ready to be a parent to David like at the moment that he needs her the most. And I'm so excited for that and I love it and I just love – mom bipolar taking care of baby bipolar and just helping him through it and that's just it's sweet it touches my heart I love it absolutely and like also you know you don't have to have like that kind of thing like people build different relationships with their parents at Mm -hmm. different stages of their lives so like yeah getting to see him and his mom have a different relationship as adults than the one that they had when he was a teenager like also feels very real to me, and I love it. Totally agree. So, yeah, I guess we'll see what happens to Steve next week and everybody else. Like, we'll find out if David and Donna are in a relationship and if Claire keeps dating Steve. (laughs) And until then. Sorry, I'm just – I just thought of this. I really hope Lulu shows up. Oh, my God. I would die. Like, what if she shows up as, like, a witness to just be like, no, Professor Randall has a vendetta against both of these boys. A surprise key witness. God, if only. I mean, Law and Order 90210. (laughs) Gimme. Bring Jesse back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Jesse Vasquez comes back as Brandon's legal representation. And Jesse called Lulu because... He's the legal representation. He has compelled it. He has served her a CU subpoena. Yep. Please. Pretty please. I will write that Law and Order fanfic. It will be terrible and I don't care. <laughs> but until then, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at back to Podcast. You can always, always, you can always, and also send us an email if you want to with any of your thoughts, questions, comments, or concerns at backtopodcast at gmail.com. 
That's B-A-C-K-T-O podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to go into your podcast app and rate, review, subscribe, share it with all your friends and family. All of that stuff really helps us get seen and build a community and give you all a better product. And if you give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts, we'll give you a shout out on the show because we really appreciate it. So until next week from all of us at Back to Podcast, I'm hell with a hammer. I got to go find somebody to call Silbear immediately. And I got to go update my list of fictional doctors I'm in love with. Bye. Bye. See ya.